Warning, content not suitable for children. Listener discretion advised, yo. Screaming Chewy Show, your source of entertainment and overall fuckery. And it starts now. Everyone, welcome back to another exciting episode of Screaming Chewy Show. And I'd like to welcome special guest, actor, rapper, and paranormal investigator, jack of all trades, Jean-Pierre. Hey, man, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good today, man. Thanks for having me on the show. How you doing today? Pretty good, man, and thanks for coming on, man. I'm excited about this, man. I believe we, we could talk all day, man. I mean, you do so much. Definitely. Yeah. I have that problem a lot. I talk too much. <laughs> hey, that's a good thing in this type of, you know, business or, you know, entertainment. <laughs> Definitely. So, man, um, so you were in that movie Ford versus uh, Ferrari, right? Correct. Yeah. And uh, so, so how, how's it, man? Show business, man. How's the acting world? Well, it was dead for a while with COVID hitting, like really everything like dropped dead. I was super busy after Ford versus Ferrari. I did some commercials, TV shows. I was just hustling, you know, really. Cause I literally right before I shot that movie, I quit my day job to really go after my dreams. And, uh, you know, luckily I shot for two months on Ford versus Ferrari as one of the main uh, factory workers and pit crew for Ferrari. So that was a lot of fun. I did a scene with John Bernthal at the beginning of the movie. And then we also did some stuff with Matt Damon and Christian Bale because, you know, we were obviously competing in the movie. They were Ford. We were Ferrari. So um, it was definitely a lot of fun. It was a great experience. Um, I had been doing a little more stand-up comedy and music uh, for, I'd say, about five years where I really didn't do a lot of serious acting. And then getting this role, they, they found me on a casting website and called me, contacted me, and asked me if I wanted to be part of this. And it turned out to be something so much bigger than what I guess was originally intended for me. So it was definitely exciting and it reinvigorated my passion for acting. I just loved it. You know, I got directed by James Mangold, who's a very famous director and working with a lot of big actors. And I was just like, you know, this is my passion. I want to do this. So I just say, you know, put it all out there, put it on the line, go after my dreams and just focus and, and do that. So um, it's starting up again. I've been on movie sets the last three weeks shooting different various things. Definitely with COVID, I've been taking a lot of COVID tests before I go to set, <laughs> filling out a lot of questionnaires. So it definitely is a little, um, a lot different <laughs> and definitely tiresome to get those tests done. But I mean, uh, it's my passion. So I really don't write too much about it. I'm just excited to be back on sets again and working and, you know, really uh, developing connections in the entertainment industry. So um, it's starting to move again now. That's good, man. Getting busy again. <clears throat> is it the, the nose COVID test? 
Uh, no, thankfully, I lucked out. But every time I had to take it, I got to do the mouth swab. So my wife hated me because she, um, she came down here for a trip. She's currently in Northern California going to UC Davis. And she came down for about a month. And, uh, you know, I'm a high-risk person. I have type 2 diabetes. And then my grandmother-in-law has diabetes. And then um, her friend has a, some blood uh, deficiency in Northern California that she's living with. So she wanted to take a test before she left. So I went with her, the drive through one, and it was for her nose. And it was very unpleasant for her, a horrible experience. So when I started working again, and every time they're like, you have to take a test, you have to take a test, I was terrified because I thought it was going to be the nose test. And come to find out, it was the mouth swab. So she obviously hated me. I was like, I love acting. I don't even have to put it in my nose. I get to just do a mouth swab and drive off, and, and I'm good. <laughs> so lucky, man. I, I got the nose one. And um, I didn't know this, but that day I found out I have a deviated septum. It's like, Ooh. and so she like shoved the Q-tip, like she didn't even go gentle, bro. Just like, blam. And she's like wiggling it and she couldn't get it to go through. And I'm like, ah. I feel yeah, that, that's bad. And she's like, is there a problem with your nose? And I'm like, I don't know. And ah! like, blam, it goes in. I felt like Arnold Schwarzenegger in Total Recall. When he's taking out the tracking device. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally get it. I met a guy uh, on one of the movies I was working on, and he, he's, um, he does jujitsu, and he didn't realize he had a deviated septum. So he went to take the test, and they, they were wondering what was wrong, and they figured it out. So I was like, oh, yeah. He's like, I know my nose was broken or whatever in a fight, but uh, he didn't realize how much damage there was until he had to do the COVID test. Uh, it wasn't there for this movie. Luckily, he did the mouth one, too. But he was working on another set that he had to do uh, the test for, and it was the nose test. And I guess he only put it on one nostril because the other one's blocked because of a deviated septum. So, so yeah, that was that, yeah, I heard that before, sadly, and it does not sound pleasant. It's already bad enough to test alone without any issues. I can imagine if you have some sort of problem and you have to shove that up there. Ouch, that's horrible. Like, just get it over with. <laughs> right? Exactly. I, I was so lucky and thankful when uh, I found out it was the mouth swab test. I was like, I'm saved. <laughs> Every All my friends, I have a friend in the Air Force who's taken the nose test because he was deployed multiple times and hated it. One time, actually, when he took one of the tests, uh, I think it was before he left for deployment, um, the lady, I guess, messed up when she was doing it and got it stuck up there and, like, had to pull it out and gave him a bloody nose and stuff. And he's like, it's awful. And when I told my wife and him that um, I had to take the mouth test, they were like, you lucky son of a... <laughs> I said, I am, aren't I? I needed a win with all this COVID stuff going on. So I got one. <laughs> right. And uh, man, that's a, that's a big risk, man. That you're definitely going for your dreams to, you know, just quit your day job and just go full-blown acting. I mean, that's it right there, man. You know, high risk, high reward, man. You're doing awesome. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Yeah, no, yeah, and I, I think it's uh, really what I realized. I was uh, actually, I, I went to see my dad yesterday and I was talking about it on the drive up. I'm in LA, but he's a little further in Hollywood. So I, I drove up to him to hang out. And on the drive there, I realized before I quit my day job, I would always look forward to my days off or to a vacation. Like those were the happiest moments. Like, oh, I'm finally getting away. And now it's the opposite. Like every time I get work or get booked or get an audition, that's when the excitement starts for me. I'm like, all right, man, I got an audition. Oh, I booked this job. I'm going on set this weekend. You know, and it's like, it's, it's such a, it's literally complete opposite of how I used to be with a regular day job, you know, especially going from a steady paycheck benefits and all that to uncertainty. But I realized 
money really does not bring you happiness because I've never been this happy in my life. And another big issue too I had before was um, I was abused by my family growing up and that affected me a lot. It made me very fearful of a lot of things. And, uh, you know, it switched it up by just getting rid of my abusers and going after my dreams and changing how I view life. And it really just, everything changed for me. I mean, I'm in a pandemic. Most people that I know are so discouraged and down. They don't like being antisocial, all this stuff. And I'm over here 2020, like to me, it's a great year so far. I'm getting a ton of work. I'm, I'm establishing my name as an entertainer all around, whether it be my comedy, my music, my acting, whatever. You know, I'm really hustling and putting, putting my you know, best foot forward. And I'm getting tons of opportunities and I'm seeing other people down and depressed, which sucks. I, I want everybody to be happy, to be honest. But right. it's so funny that, you know, I kind of developed a isolated lifestyle before the pandemic because uh, not working much, I didn't go out much. You know, I was focusing on my career, mastering my craft, trying to get work. And uh, it hit and I couldn't go anywhere. And I was like, well, I didn't really go anywhere anyway. So that doesn't really bother me too much. <laughs> um, and it's like I was prepared. So it didn't bring me down as much as it brought down other people. And then the commitment I made when I quit my job was I'm never settling for less than what I want in life because I did that for my whole life and it didn't work for me. And I said, okay, it's a pandemic. So what? Work, find something to do. Be creative. Do what you love because opportunities like this don't happen all the time. You know, unemployment works out for, for you sometimes, which is nice. And then all that. So it gave me time to just focus. I wrote and recorded and mixed and mastered a whole album and, and worked on another one. So like, I just, I kept my creative juices flowing. I got in a workout routine where I work out three times a week. I really like created a new lifestyle for myself and it's been working so far. So. I love that, man. I wish more people did that. You know, I mean, that's, that's fucking amazing. Um, you know, during this pandemic, I told myself I was going to work out. Um, I have yet to get to it, but. Uh, <laughs> And now, now, don't get me wrong, I failed a few times. You know, my wife came to town for a month, so we spent a lot of time together. I did. I, I skipped a lot of working out during that time. Uh, but I always get back to it. I'm pretty disciplined. So, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, I took like three weeks off. I didn't really work out because I was busy spending time with my loved ones and trying to enjoy the time we had together. But when it was over, I was like, back to it. I have a mission. I need to stick to it. So. And always staying busy, man. And uh, so uh, your uh, rap career, your rapper name is MC Pierre? Correct. That's it. The letter M, the letter C, P-I-E-R-R-E. And um, so you did that uh, before you went into acting? Uh, I actually have done pretty much everything uh, almost my whole life. Uh, from, a, from a little child, I used to imitate a lot of comedians and stuff. My family always told me I knew I did it. I used to imitate all of Michael Jackson's dance moves when I was a kid. Um, I used to imitate the Groucho Marx and like a lot of comedians I saw on TV. My favorite Saturday Night Live and Johnny Carson and all these people I stayed up late watching. Um, so it's always been a part of me. Um, growing up in Long Beach, California, rap and hip hop was really big. So I was just surrounded by it. And I connected with it, you know, growing up in an area that's urban that you know, has a lot of crime, a lot of drugs, a lot of violence. I really connected with the music because they talked about what was going on in my neighborhood. So I think that's why I, I gravitated more towards rap because I understood it from, from their perspective. You know, I didn't see it as just mindless violence. Although, yeah, I do think sometimes it goes a little overboard and we should try and like put more positive messages in our music. Um, but I understood it for the art it was and expressing that lifestyle. And uh, I've always had a keen ability to imitate things I saw. So, you know, once I heard like Snoop Dogg and a lot of the local rappers, I just started writing lyrics. 
but it was um it was in junior high when I really like started taking it seriously and like actually spent hours like writing and coming up with ideas and concepts and kind of testing out my abilities. So, uh, and then in uh, high school, uh, I had to do a poem project in an English class and uh, I didn't realize I had done it, but I had unintentionally written a rap in this, in this poetry. Nice. And it was so clever that the English teacher gave me full credit. She made me redo the project the correct way. But she was like, you made me laugh, and that was so clever how you wrote this. Like, I'm still going to give you full credit. And then because it was so clever, like, other students found out. The TA read it and thought it was cool, so, like, older kids heard it. And all of a sudden, I became this guy in school that was like, oh, he can rap, he can rap, da, da, da. And I was, I was very introverted and shy until about college. So it was difficult for me to come out of my shell. Um, even though I was performing, I was in choir, I was in drama, I performed in plays, I performed on stage. But I never felt comfortable in my own skin. It was always performing that I was okay. And then once I got out of my own skin, um, right, back into my own skin, I should say, and that's when I felt uncomfortable people giving me attention and wanting to hear me rap or sing or whatever I do. And I just kind of shut down. Now I'm total opposite. But, but yeah, it was kind of a secret thing I did for me most of the time. And then when I got to college and I was introduced to a lot of underground hip hop, uh, particularly Immortal Technique from the East Coast. Oh, I it love clicked. Immortal Technique. Yeah, it clicked. When I heard his music, I knew that this is something I wanted to do because I wanted to create music that had a message that was impactful, but clever, but also deep and have meaning. And when I heard Immortal Technique, I was like, there's a way to merge the gangster and the, the political, the, the socially conscious. And I have more of a mellow, calm voice. So, you know, those topics kind of work well when I create music. So... Um, so it's, it's something I think I've always done from a very young age, but I took it more seriously rap wise, uh, junior high, high school and beyond is when I really put it like as something I wanted to do. Uh, but I always loved it hearing it as a kid and, and enjoyed music in general. Uh, so I'm a, I'm a DJ as well. So, you know what I mean? I have a love for music in general. So yeah, just, just a lot of that, but I, I've always done a lot of things. And, you know, I think partly it came from my abuse because my abuser just like was a, made me a workhorse. I had to do everything. You know, my, my dad left when I was very little and my abuser made me the man of the house when I was like five years old. So I lost a lot of my innocence because I had so much responsibility. But so my abuser wouldn't abuse me. I had to be on top of everything. I think that's why I do so many things. I've learned how to balance. And it sounds strange, but I have learned how to balance my career, my marriage and like life. And it's I think it's difficult for a lot of people to do. And so I guess I should be a little grateful for the abuse because it gave me a lot of skills that I actually used in a positive form to help my career and help my abilities, so. Very true, man, you got it figured out. You know, you got the formula down. And, um, you know, Immortal Technique, the first, song, the first song I heard of his was uh, Dance with the Devil. Classic. And uh, <laughs> I was blown away, dude, because like, he was gangster and there was that like, gang violence and stuff. Yeah. Uh, in that story, there was such a deep message, you know, at the end, I'm like, what the fuck, yo, that was, yeah, he really made a name for himself with that song. That's what cemented his name in hip hop history was that creative storytelling he did and the way he told the story. And then at the end, he hits you with that twist. And it's like, whoa, dang, that's deep. You know, that's that's how you catch people. And I, I've been lucky that I've been blessed as a good storyteller. I always have been when I was a little kid. You know, I'm into the paranormal. You kind of mentioned it earlier. Just when I was a little kid, I would come up with fake ghost stories and things like that with my friends in the apartments we lived in. And I, from a, I was maybe like six or seven probably. 
And I would terrify all the kids. I'd run into their apartments when I'd tell these fake stories. And I just made them up on the spot, like, you know, improv. I was just like, so this one building had this, and you know, whatever it was. And I think that that's one of my gifts is that I'm a good storyteller. And that translates well when you're doing music. Um, one thing people always say about my rap music is the fact that I'm very um, coherent and cohesive with the message. So if the song is like about gun violence, it, it's going to be consistent that topic through like I don't switch off it doesn't turn into randomness or just you know showing off lyrical ability I'm really telling a story and trying to get a message or a point across and it's going to come through in every verse and in every chorus um and and I've had a lot of people tell me that when they hear my music it's like I like that you're consistent when when your song is called paranormal planet you you don't deviate from that story it's about ghosts it's about UFOs it's about whatever you know and um have you had some have you ever had any crazy experiences during a paranormal investigation? Oh yeah, a ton of them. Let me give a little backstory so that way any uh, viewers or listeners might uh, want to know a little about my background. So that the paranormal started at a very young age for me too. Um, this is based on what I remember. Uh, I think I was about two years old. I stayed at my grandmother's house, which was a very common thing. So there's nothing strange about that. But this particular time I saw my grandfather's spirit and he passed away when I was three months old. Whoa. So as a small child, it freaked me out. As scared as I was, I actually followed his ghost and watched it disappear through the dining room wall. And then I ran to my grandmother's room, told her what happened. She said it was a bad dream, your imagination, wasn't so-and-so. And, -so. and uh, I kind of shut down because I figured if my family doesn't believe me, who else is going to believe me? But after that point, I started seeing stuff all the time. We'd go places in the house. It didn't matter wherever I'd see stuff, but I, I didn't talk about it because I was like, well, my family didn't believe me, so I don't want to talk about it. Um, when I was about 10 years old, my grandmother mom sat me down and said, hey, we didn't want to scare you. You were very little. But our family has always experienced weird things. We've seen ghosts and UFOs and all kinds of whatever in our lives. My grandmother came from Italy and she saw stuff out there before she came to the U.S. So like there's a family history with it. And that's when it sparked about 10 years old, when it sparked my interest. And I was like, OK, I, I need to know more because how come everybody doesn't experience this? And, and why am I experiencing this? And why does our family experience this? This is interesting. So there wasn't a lot of shows back then. It was probably the mid to late 90s. Um, and I uh, basically had my parents buy me a lot of books so I could read up on it and study it. Uh, there was a few shows. Like there was, uh, you know, the X-Files did a lot of paranormal creepy stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, they had a show called Sightings on Fox that used to talk about UFOs and ghosts and all that. And I'd watch that. Uh, Unsolved Mysteries would have episodes about ghosts and other stuff. So oh, those I were some that. of the media sources that I would watch on those topics. And it was more serious. It wasn't reality TV at the time. So it was like really stories of real experiences that people had. Um, and then from there, it just built and built. And I studied it and wanted to go to haunted places. But I didn't really do much with it until I got to high school. I met my best friend who started the nonprofit uh, that uh, we own now. Uh, and we just said, hey, we have an interest. Let's try and go to haunted places and investigate. And we met some mentors when we went to college who mentored us in the field, taught us how to use equipment, how to investigate it, um, you know, stuff like that. I started studying psychology and eventually parapsychology. And in 2009, I earned my PhD in parapsychology. And uh, we run a non nonprofit called the Southern California Paranormal Detectives. And we investigate ghosts, UFOs, all that kind of stuff. So I just want to give you a quick backstory so you have an idea of where it all came from. Uh, kind of have a family history and just a, a deep interest for the mysterious. Um, so, you know, quick side note on that. But yeah, I've definitely had quite a few crazy experiences, but one I'll never forget that I always tell because it was something that physically happened to me that 
And something that happened to my wife on the case too, she's part of my team as well. Uh, but I rarely have things happen to me. So this one stood out. So it's in California, we're in Southern California in like the LA area. Uh, we did a case, went in to investigate. The immediately stuff started happening. There's a two story house. There was uh, metal chairs and tables on a balcony of the house. And as soon as we stepped out of our car, we hear metal scraping against the balcony. Oh, so no. <laughs> we asked the client, like, can we go in the house? We need to figure out what that was. She's like, it sounded like it was up there. So we ran upstairs to the balcony and there was a metal chair and it was moved away from the table. There was two chairs there, but one of them was pulled from under the table. And she said it had to be the chair because that wasn't in that position when you guys first got here. They were oh, both into the table. Fuck. <laughs> and I was like, this is great, guys. We need to set up our cameras right now and try and catch this because, man, like it's rare that it's rare that stuff happens and it's even more rare you can capture it. It's like if this stuff exists, it knows we're trying to catch it. And if it does it when your camera's not facing that way, you know, you, you catch weird evidence that's not directly, you know, what was there. So it's always like frustrating because you always get stuff like that happening and you don't catch it. You know, literally, we showed up, it happens, we didn't have a camera running yet. They so, like to fuck so, with you. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, night continues, we investigate uh, the client's young boy who was probably around 10 years old. And one of my team members at the time um, saw a woman in a bloody dress walk in the bathroom when they were sitting in the dark in the house. Uh, I didn't see it, but they freaked out. I mean, they seemed legitimately freaked out. So I, I don't deny that they probably saw something. Um, so like I said, I didn't see it. So I was like, okay, this is interesting. Uh, let's keep investigating. So we did. It was about almost before four in the morning because we do late night investigations. Things are just calmer and quieter at night. You don't have to do investigations at night, to be honest. Ghost activity can happen all day long. So can UFOs and anything else. It's just that there's something about in the evening, people are usually asleep and resting, and things are just calmer, and it seems like the activity seems to pick up when everything else is more steady and slow. So a lot of people ask about that. So I wanted to kind of you know, clarify that uh, before I keep going. So we leave the house. We leave our cameras, audio running to try and capture anything that happens in the house, but we, we get everyone out of the house, leave our stuff in there. We go to 7-Eleven to grab some Slurpees and snacks to stay awake. And we get back to the property, literally on the dot at 4 a.m. And we're sitting outside the house, just chatting. And all of a sudden, we hear Native American chanting throughout, echo through the entire neighborhood. Keep in mind, this is a weeknight at 4 in the morning. So uh, half of my team jumps in a car, drives around the neighborhood, tries to find a source. The rest of us on foot, running around the neighborhood, trying to figure out where this came from. We come back roughly, maybe like 15 minutes later, get back to the house. We converge in the house. We couldn't find a source for it. Don't know where that came from. It was really strange. Then we noticed my wife's missing and we're like, wait, where is she? I thought she was with you. No, I thought she was with you. We run outside. It was, the house was in a cul-de-sac and we see her slurping in the middle of the, the cul-de-sac in the street, but she's not there. So my, the other part of the team is about to jump in the truck again and go look for her. And then I'm on foot and I notice she's at the end of the block, just standing there. So I run up to her. The rest of the team follows. We're like, Hey, where were you? We were looking for you. I was right here the whole time. No, you weren't. We drove by and walked by this exact spot and you were not here. And she's like, I don't want to talk about it right now. Like, let's just go break down and finish our investigation. And we were like, okay, you know, we let her be, we let her kind of calm her nerves. Um, so we're, we're breaking down our equipment, putting down all our stuff. And in the process of this investigation, the client's younger sister who works a late night job showed up and she walks in the house, doesn't say anything to any of us, just goes straight to her room. And everybody just kind of got an odd feeling about her. Like, I don't know, like to not say hi, to not acknowledge anything. Like it just seems kind of odd. 
but whatever, we just continued. We started breaking down our equipment. I pulled down a camera off the stairwell that we had set up. And uh, all of a sudden, like, I start sensing something, like something big, like almost like the, the boulder in Indiana Jones was going to roll down the stairs. And <laughs> like, I braced like something was coming at me, like huge. Whoa. And, and I'm like, I don't know why I just prepped for something. And all of a sudden, this little petite Latina girl walking down the stairs. And, you know, I look at my other teammate that's next to me. And I go, I think she's the source of this activity. I got a really weird feeling about her. And the energy I felt does not match the stature that she presents. Um, so I was like, whatever, let's just keep breaking down. So we're moving around the house, taking our equipment down. And for some reason, her eyes are just fixated on me. I'm walking around the house. I'm moving uh, behind walls. And her gaze is just following me everywhere. And I'm like what, like, what is her issue? Like, she's not saying anything. She's just looking at me. And it's weird. So I'm like, whatever. We bring down equipment. I had one last piece to put away in an equipment bag that was right next to her sitting on the couch. So I'm like, all right, I'm just going to put this away and we'll wrap it up. So I put the piece of equipment away, zipped up my bag. I look up and I catch eyes with her for like maybe five, 10 seconds. And I may be exaggerating. It was a very short time. Um, all of a sudden my chest got really tight. I couldn't breathe and my eyes started watering. Oh, um, what the I fuck? was like, I don't know what's happening, but I can't breathe. So I bolted out of the house first time. And last time I've ever bolted out of anywhere. Cause I'm, I'm very uh, brave. I step up to anything. They tell me it's a demon. I walk straight towards it. But <laughs> in this case, I didn't know what was happening. This isn't usual. This isn't like normal activity. This is just something what's going on. Um, so I ran out. My wife chased me out. She asked if I was okay. I said, I'm fine. I just can't go back in there because I don't know what's happening. So you guys finish the equipment and then we'll wrap it up. So um, I was talking with the, uh, the client who's the sister of this young girl, uh, the older sister. And I said, hey, uh, I don't want to say this in front of her, but I think that she's the root of this activity. I get a really weird vibe about her. And we always ask our clients questions before we investigate, right? Have you messed with witchcraft, voodoo, Ouija boards, anything that may open up doors or, or deal with something you don't know what you're dealing with? And she's like, well, I didn't tell you guys, but my sister's been mess messing with witchcraft. Some of her and her coworkers are Ooh. doing brujaria, you know, on each other. And they're taking like hair from each other's combs at the workplace and doing all kinds of weird stuff. And I was like, you should have told us this at the beginning. Like this, <laughs> this is why your house is going crazy and why this stuff is happening. Like she's, she's opened the door up to something that she doesn't understand if she's oh. messing with this stuff. And she didn't seem like she was some practicing witch or anything. You know what I mean? Uh, she was like messing around because I guess people were messing with her, but still oh not a good God. thing to do. So, uh, so I told the client, like, honestly, like you might want to like, see if you can have her stay somewhere for like a week or a couple of weeks and see if the activity changes, like do a test without making it obvious to see if that the activity stops, if it is her that's causing it. Uh, Cause we weren't sure still. So I said, you know, you could try some more tests. Um, and then before we left, I said, look, I took my wife. I said, let's go back to that spot where you were and see if, if anything happens. Uh, you know, and right now it's probably five in the morning by this time. So we walk, we get to the spot where she was standing, but disappeared when we walked by and she collapsed and I had to catch her. And I was just like, okay, we just need to leave now. Like this is too much has happened. Let's just leave. So we already had our equipment in the car, cars. We took off and went home. Uh, me and my wife went to sleep that night, woke up the next morning and we started to notice some weird stuff. First thing was her wristwatch. You know, it was one of those old mechanical ones. It was 15 minutes behind the exact amount of time she was missing for. Whoa. And she told me in the morning, she was standing on the corner 
everything just turned pitch black and she just felt someone breathing on her face, but she couldn't see anything. And then all of a sudden she was back on the corner and she doesn't know where she went, how it happened, what happened. Hey, so I'm sure you've noticed I've been getting a lot more celebrity guests on my show. And this is all thanks to Steve Joyner. He's a publicist. And man, this guy takes his work seriously. He does not fuck around. And this guy is keeping me busy, yo. He, yeah, I'm just getting so many celebrity guests. Thank you so much, Steve Joyner. And um, if you yourself are an actor, director, producer, and you are looking for a uh, publicist, do not hesitate to contact Steve, right? He is a really cool guy. You'll love him, okay? His phone number is 816-605-4561. Or if you would like to email him, it's uh, all one word, starts with a capital S, and it's stevesjnetwork at gmail.com. So again, starts with a capital S, and then it's T-E-V-E-S-J-N-E-T-W-O-R-K at gmail.com. Tell him Screamy Chewy sent you. You will not be disappointed. And uh, yeah, so big shout out to you, Steve. Thanks again, bro. Peace. What's up, everybody? This is your boy, Ken, a.k.a. Mr. Gentleman. I'm Mr. Gentleman, like the podcast. You are now listening to the Screaming Chew Show. Chew! I'm Anthony. And I'm Jessica from the Beautiful Feet Podcast. And you're listening to the Screaming Chewy Show. And I was like, that's crazy. So um, I don't remember the time. I think I just take it off. It was changing my shirt or something. Or I take it off my shirt to take a shower. There was a circular burn mark on my chest where I couldn't breathe. It was there for about a week. It healed up, but it looked like a burn mark. What the fuck? And me and my wife were just like... Wow, that was that was pretty crazy. So uh, that's probably one of the more intense cases where like stuff happened, and you know those are the abridged versions. Obviously, a lot went on, but I just told the key points of that investigation. Because usually they last six to eight hours, and there's a lot of nothing happening. But I just highlighted all the good points of that story. Uh, but yeah, that was crazy. So for about a week, I had a burn mark on my chest, and it finally went away. So they actually physically hurt you. Yeah, there was a mark. It didn't necessarily hurt. Like, I didn't feel any pain. It was, I just felt tightness when I couldn't breathe. But for some reason, there was a burn mark the next morning. And it didn't really hurt either. It was just, it was red. And it looked like I had gotten, like, a very lightly burned. But enough where it was like a red circle that you could notice. That's crazy. So that's probably one of the crazier stories. And I've had quite, obviously, doing it for, like, 20 years now. Uh, I've experienced a lot, but that's one of the more intense and crazy things that I had happen to me personally. And I've um, never witnessed anybody disappear either. So, <laughs> and um, have you ever had any experiences with uh, shadow people? Uh, yeah, my theory on shadow people is just that they are regular spirits that just manifest as uh, black figures because they don't have the ability to manifest like in a in a more solid form. Uh, but yeah, I've definitely seen shadow people all over, like very common. It's probably one of the more common ways you see ghosts now. Um, and I'm not sure if that, uh, you know, a lot of people consider it a separate phenomenon. Um, and I think it's just because it became more frequent that maybe they do consider it something different. I consider it a, a ghost or a spirit that just can't manifest fully and manifests as like the black figure, black silhouette or whatever. But yeah, I've definitely seen it a lot. Um, mostly you see it a lot of the time out of the corner of your eyes, peripheral. 
But mm-hmm. I've seen it like stuff dead on where I've seen figures like black figures or a black silhouette like moving. Yep. So, um, <clears throat> of course, you know, I've seen them all the time, like at the corner of my eye, you know, you see something move, you're like, it's gone. Yeah. But um, when I was younger, maybe from age 14 to like 20, 21-ish, I lived in this one house on the street called Garcia. And in my room in there for years, every night, I would see shadow people all over my walls. And no matter how dark the room was, they were darker. Uh-huh. So you could clearly see them at night. And they would move like people, like like they were curious. Like, you know, they were like trying to check me out. Yeah. And it was like all over my fucking walls. And it's funny how you were saying that when you saw stuff and you never told people because you thought they would think you're crazy. That's exactly how I was. Yeah. I would see them every night and I'm like, no, it's a fucking shadow from a tree. And like in the day I would go outside and I'm like, what's making that shadow? And like, it was nothing. There was no explanation. I, I racked my brain trying to explain it. And I'm like, no, dude, there's like, there's a shadow of a man. There's a little kid. Like they're all different shapes and sizes. Mm-hmm. And I never told nobody until I think I started telling my mom, I'm like, hey, I think there's spirits in my room. And she's like old school Mexican Catholic. Oh, yeah. Like, I mijito. And she went to go get like holy water and put it around my mm-hmm. room. And they actually would go away for like a couple of days and then yeah. come back. And then, so I told my mom, and then my friends, we were in middle school. My homie Juan and Frankie, you know, were playing video games all night. It was a weekend and they spent the night. And I'm like, you know, I didn't want to suggest anything. I didn't want to give them any ideas. So I was like, check it out, guys. I'm going to turn off the light and tell you what you see on the walls. Nice. And they're like, oh, okay. And I turn off the light. And then um, took a couple minutes, but they're like, dude, what the fuck? Is that a person? And I'm like, where do you see it? And they're like, right there on that wall. We were all seeing the same thing. And I'm like, okay, so I'm not crazy. And, <laughs> and in that house, they would fuck with me so much. Like, mm-hmm. late at night, I'd be watching TV and I had a stereo. But late at night, I would turn it off. And it just turned on and it went full blast volume. Oh my mm-hmm. God, it scared the shit out of me. Like weird. Oh, also um, sleep paralysis. I would have a lot in that house. Mm-hmm. And, but when I moved out, I never seen shadow people or had sleep paralysis ever again. Yeah. And um, I know that there's a, I, I may be wrong on the source of this. I don't remember the story I read, but they had actually done a, um, a test, a scientific experiment using a specialized camera. I think, I believe it was in Russia. I'm not sure. Either Russia or Germany. Honestly, um, uh, paralysis. And they actually captured like ghostly figures above people while they were having sleep paralysis. And this is documented, scientifically tested. Um, so there does seem to be some sort of correlation. And I'm, because everything is based on energy, right? Like we, we contain energy, the movements you know, energy, everything, our technology, all this stuff, everything is based on energy. So when you are having paralysis, that is a form of energy that's happening. And I don't know if that maybe clicks something in the brain that maybe allows you to witness things that are not, you don't normally witness with, with the maybe conscious mind. Uh, but there's done a lot of studies on sleep paralysis. And yeah, people say they see a lot, but it's still debatable whether it is sleep paralysis causing you to see it 
or maybe sleep paralysis allowing you to see it. That's the distinction between between that. Because I mean, your story is pretty compelling, and I'm very impressed by the fact that you didn't tell your friends what it was. That's the scientific method right there is allowing someone to see it for themselves without hinting at or telling them what it is. That's the way to test it. So yeah. I, you, you made me very proud when you said that. I was like, exactly. perfect, man. Because I, I always had an idea that the power of suggestion is very powerful. Like, yep. you know, like the tape recordings, right? When you somebody's like, hey, did you hear the ghost say this? Well, whatever, yeah. the word they tell you, you're going to look for it. Mm-hmm. So I, learned, I didn't want to do that. You know, I wanted it to be real. And I'm like, tell me what you see, guys. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, that was definitely great. But yeah, um, yeah, it's 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 uh, the sleep paralysis thing is a big debate. I don't really recall having sleep paralysis in my life. Um, I've had some strange experiences where, like, I was paralyzed, but I wasn't sleeping. So I'm not sure if that had anything to do with sleep paralysis. It was definitely paralysis, but it was like something else. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny because um, I've had it in that house over the years. I had it so much. Sometimes it happened while I was awake, and sometimes it happened while I was sleeping. And um, so, like, at night, I would sleep with the TV on. Cause I was scared, dude. Yeah, of course. And um, one time I woke up in the middle of the night and my TV was on and I couldn't move, right? Yeah. Sleep paralysis, I would use all my strength to just move a fucking finger or something. I'm like, ah, trying to fight it. And like, whatever was going on in the background was like an infomercial or something. Yeah. Fighting it. I remember, dude, and like eventually after a while I moved a finger and then right there I could move. I'm like, oh, what the fuck? And yeah. the same thing was on the television. So I know for sure it, it wasn't a dream, you know? Yeah. But uh, other times, just a couple of times, it was a dream because uh, I dreamt that, um, you know, I had woke up, had sleep paralysis, and I couldn't move. And I remember I was fighting it, and I started to crawl, and I was, like, crawling out of bed. And then I woke up, and I was just in my bed. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, sleep paralysis, like I said, is a very difficult thing because it puts you, it's it's in a weird place of uh, existence, meaning that you're asleep, but you're awake. So it's almost like the brain hasn't fully awoken yet and connected with the rest of the body. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a difficult thing to explain. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's scientific terminology and, and theories and ideas and, and a good grasp of what it is, but I think there's deeper parts to the mind we don't understand yet to fully grasp why there's so much correlation between a paranormal experience and sleep paralysis. So Yeah, like why can't it be both, right? You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think man's fatal flaw is man has to know everything and if he does not, then you know, it's almost like we're inferior if we can't explain something away. So we have this need to define everything and label everything and, and know what it is. And that pursuit, I think, closes us up to so many possibilities that actually exist in the world because we think there's only one way of thinking. And I, I think that affects all of us. I know that's affected me in life. And even though I've achieved a lot since I left my abuse and went after my career, there's still things in me that have so ingrained and rooted from society, from the abuse, from everything that I'm still trying to get over because, you know, uh, it, it's the idea of having an open mind. Most people say, like, I have an open mind. I'll try any kind of food. 
An open mouth is not an open mind. To truly have an open mind is to actually accept everything that happens without having to, to need to know what it is or how it's done. And saying like, that could exist at least. If, even if you just believe in the possibility of it, you're already on the cusp of what an open mind is. But when you stay closed-minded just because your personal experience does not allow you to see that way, that's, that's a closed mind right there. Just like saying, you know, if you want to look at it um, in terms of the real world, there's plenty of people arguing right now that police are bad and police are good. And, you know, people who have good encounters with the police try and discredit people who have had bad encounters with the police. Mm -hmm. But just because you had a good encounter doesn't mean there aren't bad encounters happening. And it doesn't, neither side justifies the other, but that's the mentality people have. Oh, I haven't experienced it, therefore it's not real. Very so I, yeah, and I'm, I'm more of a person that, and I've earned a lot of respect from skeptics because I'm not a person who does this to try and prove to the world that it's real. I'm doing it because I've had my own personal experiences. Uh, I believe in it, but I also approach it scientifically and try and test it before I determine that it's something that I can't explain that's out of this world or paranormal. And uh, I don't force my beliefs on anybody. I just said that this is based on my experiences and it's an experiential type of thing. When you haven't, I totally understand how you can't understand it or believe it if you've never experienced it. It really is. I, my my co-founder, it took him four years to see a ghost. We investigated for four full years. I remember the night it happened. We were investigating this house. He went in the garage. He saw a lady in a white dress. He runs out. I finally saw a ghost, man. I saw a ghost. There was a lady standing there. And I'm just like, wow. He's all happy weird. instead of scared. <laughs> So, uh, so you know what I mean? Stuff like that. Uh, it's really an experiential type of thing. And he was interested. He wanted to. He was out there doing it. Even though he didn't experience it, he believed in the possibility. And eventually, he had his experience. So I fully agree with you. I think when people can't explain something, they just, you know, sometimes, because like you were saying, we need to know everything. So I think sometimes if we don't know, we just make it up and we convince ourselves that's it. Nothing else. And, um, you know, like you were saying, it's, it's pretty ignorant, closed-minded. And uh, same thing with the paranormal, um, like the shadow people. Yeah. I, I haven't told a lot of people. I, I just told my homies that day and, like, just close, you know, family and just close friends. And but sometimes it would come up or hanging out and I'll t they'll talk about ghosts and I'll bring it up. And a lot of people don't believe me. They're like, ghosts don't exist. It's all in your head. And I'm like, you know what? Like, I'm not trying to convince you. Like, I'm just telling you my story. If you don't want to believe me, it's cool. I get it. Because if I never had an experience, I probably wouldn't believe either. Yep. You know, I'm like, but it's just one of those things, man. You know? <laughs> it is. No, it definitely is. I and mean, you said it perfectly. Um, I think that level of respect where, uh, like you said it, you don't have to believe me. I'm not here to try to make you believe me. And I think when you approach, like, um, I actually lectured at Chapman University for six years in the sociology department on the paranormal. The first semester I ever lectured, um, I do a presentation on basically what the paranormal is, how we investigate it, how we like to be seen and taken seriously in the scientific community and in the world. And it's not just for TV entertainment purposes. And uh, as I was telling different stories and experiences and how we approached investigating this phenomenon, uh, it's a very free-form lecture that I do. So students can raise their hands and ask questions. A girl raised her hand and said, why do I trust you more than religion? And nice. <laughs> first of all, the greatest question I've ever been asked in my entire life, I don't think anything will ever top that. But my answer was what, what you just said pretty much. I said, 
I'm not trying to make you believe anything or follow anything. I'm literally telling you what I do. I'm explaining to you what I've seen, what I've experienced, what we believe it is. But you don't have to take it as, as you know, God's word or anything. It's just, it is what I'm telling you. And it's my, my perspective and my experience. It doesn't have to be yours. And I think that's the difference when it comes to trusting someone. When you're not forcing something on them, they're more interested. They're more inclined to maybe take you a little more seriously. Um, you know, for me, most of the time, the fact that I have my PhD in parapsychology automatically gives me credibility. People find out my history and they're just like, okay, so they believe anything I say. So I could be as if I wanted to, but I, I don't like to, <laughs> but, um, and the media always wants you to, I've been in like five major TV deals and they all wanted us to fake stuff and they were script stuff and make us into characters. And, uh, there were deals that didn't, that fell through and there were deals I turned down cause it's a passion of mine. I don't think of it as a joke or a game. So to, to go around and act stupid and be a character, like, you know, I'm an actor. So the most insulting thing about reality TV to me is when they want to put me on a show, but they want to pay me garbage, but I, they want me to use my acting abilities on this show. So I'm, I'm utilizing a skill that I practiced and learned and have as a talent, but you want to pay me garbage. And if the first season goes well, I can like, it'll be great exposure for me or I'll get paid more another, if another season happens. Um, I just, I, I find that so insulting. Like, you're, you're, okay, I am an actor though. So why don't you pay me an actor's wage? You know, pay me SAG scale if you want me to act. If you want it to be reality, that's not me reality. That's your reality. <laughs> they want to, they want you to do all that and pay you, you know, minimal while they stack the cash, you know? Oh yeah, completely, completely. Like, we funded it. We deserve all the money. And if you become popular, then we'll give you a little more money. But uh, yeah, I guess people really need that fame and that attention that much. And I think that's the difference with, with me being a passionate man is I don't really care about the money. I hate fame. I think it's stupid. I wouldn't want to walk down the street and be like mobbed by people. Cause again, I don't think any celebrity should be put on that pedestal or scale. We're not gods. We're human beings. Granted, we may have certain determination and attitude that got us to maybe a, a high point in society or status, but it's fine to try to maybe have or gain or attain or learn those attributes so you can succeed. I don't think it is okay to put someone on a pedestal where they're above the law. They don't have to abide by rules that everyone else does. And, you know, just be treated like they're, they're something different. We're all human beings in the end. So I think that's what bothers me a lot about entertainment and fame and money is I think when you're an artist and you find passion, like it's really weird. Like I said, I had a, full-time job benefits guaranteed hours and uh i'm having way more fun going after my dreams and there's not a lot of money in it <laughs> at times there is but not all the time <laughs> you know and i love that i think you know more people should do that and they'll be a lot happier because mm -hmm. so many people are just miserable in their job but like you said benefits you know guaranteed hours but you know you gotta take that risk you know you gotta just like you, you man, you fucking, you dove off that cliff. You went to the deep end, quit your job and went to acting full time. That's cause, cause you got to put in the work. You got to go to auditions. You got to get castings. You got to fucking keep doing it. You know, yeah. just wait for them to call you. You got to go and look for them. And yeah, no. And I, a lot of people don't understand that older generations don't either because technology has changed the whole game. So is the pandemic. I literally am on my computer all day submitting for jobs. And then if some of the auditions, I have to film the home. So I have to bust out a camera, record, edit, 
and then send it to casting. So like, there's a lot of work involved and people just think you sit around. Now, granted, if the business was open, there'd be a lot more driving to LA, which you know, is a task in its own. All the traffic out here, you know, parking's horrible and you have to fight all that. So there's not a lot of glory in it, but man, uh, just when you're passionate about something, like I said, I went from looking forward to my days off and vacations to looking forward to my work. Like that's almost impossible from the way I used to be. But now like when I get work, it's like, I got work. I'm going to be on set tomorrow. I'm doing a job like that. That's a crazy passion to have to want to work. You know what I mean? Most people are lazy and don't want to work. I'm so hungry. I just want to work. Give me more work. <laughs> yeah. Just keep it coming. Right. <laughs> exactly. I don't want it to stop. I'm making this my life, baby. Let's go. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. And um, wow, man. Yeah such motivational i mean i wish i mean you're so driven man you're, you're doing everything you're rapping paranormal acting like damn man that's uh living the dream and not only are you following one passion but you're doing like all your passions yeah yeah and all passionate guy that's one of the i think that's a difficult thing for me because i have so many passions um even my wife used to not not discourage me at all but sometimes she'd say like i'm trying to fill up like five buckets and none of them are going to get filled up. But that's kind of not the point. I think everything I've done has actually helped me in my career. It's really strange. Like I never thought the paranormal was going to help my acting career. But when I go to auditions and they want to know a unique thing about me, when I tell people that they want to have more conversations, they remember me. So it's weird how everything actually does connect. You know, I always thought the paranormal was going to be separate, but here I am going to castings and sometimes I talk about the paranormal and they're going to remember me. I was the ghost guy, you know? Oh, uh, nice. Uh, and combining my, my passions, you know, like in stand-up comedy, I have, I have paranormal jokes I tell because, and that comes directly from being in the field. Um, uh, right now, the album I'm working on is an entire rap album on the paranormal, rapping about ghosts, UFOs, uh, stuff like that. And I mean, I don't think any artist, rap artist in particular, has undertaken a task this large. And uh, I have giant plans for the album once things kind of calm down. Uh, I hope to do what's called a ghost tour. So I'm going to do something no rapper's ever done before and not only do a show, but have like a VIP experience. And I only want to tour haunted venues and then do investigations with my fans either before or after the show. Like, I think that would be such a cool concept. My friends are like, imagine Snoop Dogg, like, touring with you and going on. I'm like, that would be interesting. All fucking high. He's, like, tripping. Right? It goes everywhere. <laughs> but, but, yeah, it's like, I think it's when you're a creative person, you, you find different ways to, to cope and deal. Like, you know, uh, a term I use sometimes is I'm a guy for things, right? Like I don't have the best background a lot of the time to record my auditions and stuff, but with some camera trickery, moving stuff around and setting it up, I look like I have a clear background and I'm shooting in a, in a nice, you know, whatever location. And it's because I'm, your mind solves these problems, especially when you're creative. You're like, okay, this is where I'm at. I have no other options right now. What am I going to do? get creative, you know, like come up with a new idea, make a rap album about the paranormal, do a tour where you tour haunted locations, you know, something new, you know, That's I managed to find badass. in a world where everybody's doing the same thing and they say you can't do original things. Uh, you, if you're creative enough, you can, you just got to think outside the box. Too many people think in the little boxes, you got to expand your mind and go, how can I do something different? Ah, I do this. And nobody else has done this. There you go. So new ideas. Just That's unique. Um, I would love to do that, bro. Go to one of your rap concerts 
and do some paranormal investigation in a haunted place. Wow, bro. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, so I really think once um, that project is on the ground, I've written most of the album. I haven't recorded it yet. Still have a few more songs to write. It's a, it's a really large undertaking for me because uh, I'm doing a lot of songs for it. But again, I finished writing majority of it. Um, I'm focusing on an album I'm working on right now, which is all mixed and mastered and done. But I'm working in collaboration with some other people and they're really lagging on me because I released a single already and like I wanted to release the album in September. It's done and ready to go. At least the songs are, but I wanted to record some skits because the collaborators involved and it's just, it's not gelling right now. They're busy doing their thing and, and I'm over here like, all right, let's go. <laughs> so we'll see. I'm, I might delay the album a little bit. I hope to release it in the fall. Um, it's timely. It's really serious about loss of life, gun violence, pretty much a lot of what's going on in America right now. So uh, I feel like that's um, a Sony producer I apprenticed under. I, le I let him hear the single I released. And this is before I released it. And he was like, this song is powerful. I can't stop listening to it. You need to release it now. It's so <laughs> timely. If you don't release it now, you're not going to hit, you know, the mark. So um, I really think like this album, it has modern uh, music and beats behind it, but with a conscious yeah, awareness to the lyrics and storytelling of the world we li we're living in and, you know, the way it is. So, so uh, where, can uh, where can people find your music? Yeah, definitely. So the main website is www.mcpr.com. That's the letter M, the letter C, P-I-E-R-R-E.com. -R and that's mostly for my music, but I also have my paranormal stuff on there, my comedy stuff, links to all my social media. So you can find me there. If you want to follow me on Instagram or social media, my handle is at talented. That's talented with an extra E-D. Since I do so many things, that's kind of my little branding name. <laughs> nice. I love it, man. So, uh, yeah, mcpierre.com. And um, wow, dude. Talented. Yeah. And um, yeah, I'll definitely have the links on the episode descriptions. And um, thanks for coming on, man. Very interesting. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Man. We had a great conversation. And thanks for sharing your stories, too. It was really cool to hear how you went about it and your experiences, too. Yeah, man. I, I love the paranormal. I mean, very interesting stuff you know like uh I, I think we could talk all day about it yeah i'm sure yeah <laughs> well thanks again for coming on man and uh you have a good one yeah same to you brother have a good one we'll talk soon later bro later everyone thanks for tuning in and if you'd like to support this podcast you can find me at anchor.fm slash screaming chewy gmail.com there'll be three options for a monthly subscription first one i believe starts at a dollar a month yo yeah dollar a month 
Yeah, and if you don't want to, that's cool. You can follow me on Facebook and YouTube, Screaming Chewy Show, for some memes, some more videos for episodes, and behind the scenes kind of deal, right? You can follow me on Twitter, uh, Screaming Chewy. Yeah, not Screaming Chewy Show, I should probably change it. But it's just Screaming Chewy. And uh, thanks for listening. Peace.